Welcome to episode 77 of the Horror Dads podcast. You are joined Welcome by your in. hosts, John and Jamie. Hello. We've got quite the episode today. We're excited. Oof. Feeling like a kid again, huh? We are feeling like a kid again because we talk about goosebumps. And not only do we talk about goosebumps, but we talk about goosebumps with Tim Jacobus, who is the graphic artist, uh, designer, illustrator that made the covers for the original books that we all grew up looking at. And I would argue that his illustrations and designs are as impactful for us now as, as the, the words that were written in those books, you yeah. know? And we kind of felt that heading into this conversation, I think. And then after the conversation, you know, I feel very strongly about that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I would drive to New Jersey and high five Tim right now. <laughs> yeah, He's an amazing uh, guy. I think you guys are all going to love him. Yeah. Um, man, dream come true, honestly. Yes. And it's so great. You know, anyone that dedicates their time to strangers like us and is willing to hang out is, is always amazing. But uh, you get those special few where as soon as you start talking, you're like, this is going to be a great fun dude. And, and he, you know, Tim was really, truly um, just a great dude and really nice to talk to and, and a really nice guy. So you guys are gonna enjoy this. We've had several interviews where it's like, okay, well, this is all I could have ever hoped for. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we get one like today where it's like, man, this is beyond yep. any expectation I ever had. So, yeah. yeah. All right. So let's get into the intro stuff before we get to the interview. Right. Yep. So uh, we'll just spend a couple of minutes catching up here. Yeah. Uh, and then we will jump into it with Tim. But Jamie, let's talk. It's uh, the worst week of the year, typically. Right. So yeah. we yeah, scheduled yeah. this interview to kind of make ourselves feel a little bit better. Yes. But Halloween ended on Monday. It, it is now Thursday. We're feeling the sads. But uh, what have you been watching in the post Halloween depression? All right. So uh, first of all, what I didn't realize is I got the AMC app because I realized uh Curse of Michael Myers wasn't streaming anywhere, but on the AMC app. So I got the uh, free trial or whatever, <laughs> the free seven day trial so that I could watch uh, Curse of Michael Myers in my office without having to move the Blu-ray player around. Oh, um, you get Shutter for free on that. So it just kind of like sw- it absorbs your Shutter app and yeah, just puts it in the AMC. Yeah. Uh, what I didn't realize is that you can watch live TV. So you could just sit and watch Fear Fest streaming oh, live. That's yeah. amazing. Uh, uh Unfortunately, I didn't realize this until the day after Halloween <laughs> when they were still streaming all horror. Uh, oh. They streamed it all day long. So I just sat there and I, I just felt like I was watching Fear Fest still. Uh, it just happened to be November 1st and I still felt like I was in the holiday season. So it still was amazing. Um, but as far as movies go, I watched a movie called Hellhole last night on Netflix. Oh, good boy. Uh, it's, a dubbed, <laughs> it's a dubbed movie. Uh, I can't remember where it's actually from. But it is, uh, it's pretty, pretty haunting. Um, it's about this monastery that is performing exorcisms. Oh yeah. Uh, but in the meantime, a cop is sent there undercover as a priest or whatever, uh, because some girls have gone missing, um, and they're going there kind of under the guise of an exorcism and then they go missing or dead. So he goes there to investigate what's happening, uh, and what unfolds is pretty fucking nightmarish. Uh, but it's definitely worth a watch. Hellhole. Hellhole. Yep. On Netflix. On Netflix. Cool. Check that out. And then out. I also watched a movie called, um, what I did was I kind of went back to some movies that I've been meaning to watch, but I didn't want to watch for Halloween. Um, I watched this movie called Speak No Evil, which is another, it's not dubbed, but it's a uh, part subtitle, uh, part 
broken English, like the English that they can do. I think they're Dutch and there's another nationality in there, but uh, it's about this family that meets another family in Italy. Uh, I believe it's in Italy. And then the family uh, is like, hey, why don't you come out and visit us in the countryside, the Dutch countryside? Uh, so this family takes them up on their offer. And uh, if you kind of want to leave a movie with a bad outlook on humanity, I recommend this one. Dude, travel Speak horror no evil. is very scary. I very think. scary because you're out of your element. You yep. really have no help. Uh, and then when you go to a countryside where you get no cell phone service, even worse. And you can tell there's always like one family or character that has the advantage. And typically it's related to like language or surrounding. Sure. And it's always uh, pretty spooky. So cool. Well, Got to check those out. Yeah. So I uh, finally got around to Barbarian, which is currently available on. Oh, yeah. I watched this as well. Yeah. HBO Max. I really liked it. I had a lot of fun with this. Uh, Justin Long's character, that little interrupt Dude. Uh, that they do yeah. like mid film. His character is so funny. They do uh, almost like a, um, not a cold open, but it's like the opening is kind of different from the yeah. rest of the movie, right? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, empty man. Yeah. There's, yes. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of, uh, trickery in this, I think. And it's not what you expect in multiple ways. And I think it's really well done. So I, I really enjoyed Barbarian. Had a lot of fun with it. Uh, I will say, do not watch it on the plane flying home from Chicago like I did. Because Cackling? No, you'll just, there's some scenes in there and people are on that plane. Oh. Yeah. So I Eyeing you up. Well, I lucked out. So uh, the guy next to me watching. was watching the blob from the 80s Whoa. on his iPad. Dude. So I was like, thank God that people are probably looking at his screen because I was watching on my phone. Did you have to talk to him? I mean, like I wasn't going to not. Right? Yeah. yeah. I was like, Johnny <laughs> Drama. You know, uh, have a, Johnny a Drama. Oh, no, I didn't bring that. No, up. I know. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, so I checked that out. That was fun. I also watched the new Terror Train, which I didn't know was coming out. Oh, shit. So I've been meaning to ask you about this. Yeah. So what do you think? I saw it. Uh, I we're called both you. big fans of the original. So my, I know a lot of people aren't. But. My, my Halloween party was on Saturday. And yes. I remember I called you Saturday morning, Saturday the 29th, yeah. I think it was. Yep. And I was like, dude, uh, did you know that Tubi just released a remake of Terror Train? And it's like available right now. And you're like, no. And I said, yeah, I, I didn't realize that either. So I texted Maddie from Alone in the Dark, who I know also loves that that movie, the original. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Maddie, did you, did you know about this? He's like, dude, I just I literally just watched it. Uh, so I checked it out. Um, I thought it was fun. Like it was fine. I don't think that movie needed to be remade. And this was like a very shot for shot ish kind of remake. Uh-huh. Uh, they do. It is a whodunit still, and they kind of lead you astray. But the thing that really adversely impacted me on my viewing of this was the David Copperfield character in this yep. is the character from Schitt's Creek that has the beard, like the boyfriend of Alexa in the like first season. Oh, I, I could not, I honestly, I couldn't look at his face without laughing. I was like, mm. this is completely absurd. He's his face is shaved and this guy shouldn't be in this movie. And it really kind of was a distraction, but I, I checked out barbarian and terror train. Nice dude. What about uh, buying anything? You've been getting anything horror-related, vinyls, Blu-rays, anything? How about this? So I didn't know. I kept opening my closet, uh, like the coat closet, and seeing this, like, box with, like, the trick-or-treat masks, the the Halloween 3 masks. And, like, I kept seeing these, and I was or this box, and I was like, this must be something from that I bought that is now being used for, you know, gloves or mittens or something. Uh, 
so then like two days ago, my wife is like, Oh, I forgot to give this to you. Um, or maybe it was on Halloween. Either way, she gives me this box. Uh, it was Sunday. Uh, so she gives me this box. I open it. Well, my son opens it. My four-year-old opens this box up. It's the three, uh, masks from Halloween three that Fright Rags released. The oh, mini the minis. Masks, yeah. The minis. It turns I think, out, uh, Scott Mitchell, uh, picked those yes, up. Yes. Yeah. So it turns out my wife had ordered these as soon as they dropped. She for did. Me. Cause she asked me about it. She's like, do you think Jamie would want these? And I was like, yeah, you should get them too though. In case one breaks and then I'll take them. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so. What I didn't know, because I was like, I didn't know what it was. So I was like, yeah, you can open it up to my son. He just starts ripping open these fucking boxes oh, that the masks no. are in. Didn't damage the mask, but like oh. the boxes are fucked up. I was like, these are collector items. Oh uh, God, but, you yeah, know, dude, they look amazing. She should have got you too. <laughs> uh, honestly. Uh, but they look fucking incredible. I'm so pumped to have them. Um, and it was just a nice surprise to have on uh, Halloween Eve. So that's amazing. And in similar fashion, what I've been what I've been buying uh, is I was on the quest. I went on the hunt to get all the the buckets. Yes, yeah. The, uh, the Halloween Give me buckets a witch. from from McDonald's. So <laughs> finally uh, secured all three. But it got to the point. And this is also my family my family thing too. So I'll just roll right yeah. into that. But um, it got to the point where I was like taking the kids for like two weeks straight. I went to McDonald's multiple times, and you know what kid doesn't want McDonald's, right? So the last couple of times we were going there, I was like, all right, girls, we're going to swing through McDonald's again. And uh, my oldest was like, no, no, no. Just like, <laughs> please. <add it. laughs> I think I have diabetes. Please stop. Yeah, so uh, ended up securing all of them, though. So those will be on display down here and uh, really excited about uh, about having them. So nice, dude. Uh, what about family stuff for you, man? That I, that was my little family story. Yeah, what so about, uh, trick or treating own? was amazing. The kids went as Ghostface and Jason. Um, yeah, my youngest is just still obsessed with Michael Myers. Uh, <laughs> I went in. I went in yesterday. I was setting him up to. I was working, and my wife had to go pick up my son from school. The my oldest, so the youngest was down in the family room. I got him set up with his like play doh and his mat. Uh, and I was like, "You want me to put a movie on for you?" And he's like, "Yeah, yep." I was like, "All right, what do you want me to put on?" And he was like looked at me like like I was a douche and he was like you know horror and I was like well I did I didn't know like Christmas is coming up but I didn't know if you wanted a yeah. Christmas movie and uh he was like oh so Halloween's done and now it's Christmas I was like yeah because I thought maybe he was done and then I hear him down today talking to Alexa going Alexa play John Carpenter's Halloween <laughs> and uh I was in heaven I love him he loves uh he's just like yeah, I you mean, walk down. He's, he's watching just a horror fan, dude. Santa slay with loves- Goldberg. <laughs> if you ask, yeah. <laughs> uh, this is my Santa. Black Christmas. Yeah. yeah. Oh fuck. If you ask him, like, what number Halloween H two O is, he knows. He'll tell you seven. Ask oh. him Resurrection. He says eight. Ask him how many movies are in the franchise. He'll tell you. Like he, he just like he's like a. He must have listened to our Halloween Patreon master, episode, dude. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. I'll tell you which timeline. No, I'm. That's <laughs> the that cutest. <laughs> yeah. Um. So let's just hit on what we're wearing, and then do a yeah. couple quick plugs, and then head into our our Tim interview. Don't we don't want to mm, deny the people what they it. want? You know. So I have on the uh, discount cemetery, uh, the Burb shirt, which is oh. like a Texas Chainsaw Burbs mashup. Yeah. Who will survive, and what will be left of them? It's the uh, 
scene when Ray Peterson's coming down the stairs and that like ridiculously sized chainsaw. The dream uh, sequence. Yeah. Burst yeah. through the burst through and cuts the family photo in half. Uh and I think our, our buddy um is he? Corey Danziger in that photo that gets cut in half. Oh. I think he probably is. I think it's it's he and and the mom, uh Carrie Fisher. But yeah, that's a great shirt, man. Yeah. And it's like yellow mustard colored so it's like the atypical not black you know yeah for sure it's something that like when i open my drawer it sticks out for yeah, sure it's like yeah. oh i can uh, vary it up a little <laughs> yeah, bit today. yeah yeah well we had a uh, our halloween party on saturday as i mentioned which was fantastic we had multiple patrons of ours show up which was so cool so yeah. thanks for everyone that came to hang out but Love you uh, all. but willie kennyhurst uh who's a good friend of ours mm-hmm. he he was at this like market prior to um and it has like a really cool name, like Nightmare on Fremont Street or yeah, something. something like yeah. that. And he was like, hey, I, I snagged you a couple shirts. So he got me this chopping mall shirt that I have Dude, on. I'm um, loving that shirt. It's blue. Yeah, it's blue. And it's got uh, the little chopping mall droid on it. He's in red. Yeah. Yeah. This great, great typeface uh, with the movie logo. So cool. And he also bought me a reanimator one, too, which was super cool. So uh, he snagged those for me. But uh, Alex Lavasor, mm-hmm. um, I also have to mention, who was on... I don't know, maybe 20 episodes ago, let's say, uh, like really early in the in the winter of, of you know, like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so he uh, he came over not for the Halloween party, but like a few days beforehand. And he brought me the coolest prop ever. This Masters of Horror director's chair. Oh, yeah, yeah, here, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is absolutely incredible. It's like one of the coolest things I have in this basement now. Um but even better than that, which is like, hey, what gets better than that? He and his daughter custom designed a horror dad's comic strip for mm-hmm. us that Alex uh, illustrated and his daughter wrote. His daughter's name is so Nori. So cool. Uh, so Nori, thank you so much. Alex, thank you so much. And they got little comic book like uh, sketchbooks for us to work on. Dude, comic which strips are with the amazing. Kids, which yeah. are so cool. So they got one for each of us. And it's like the sweetest you know, gift and thoughtful and just so, so nice to you guys. So, so thank you for that. Uh, we, we thanks really so much, it. Alex. So a couple quick shout outs and then we'll jump into our episode. We do have a Patreon. So if you're interested in some additional horror dads content, we have a $5 tier and a $10 tier. We do bonus episodes. We do watch through episodes. We do a never seen it segment, uh, videos, things like that. Totally, totally fun. If you're into the show, uh, please consider subscribing to our Patreon uh, helps us uh, motivate us to make some additional content. And we also do have Horror Dads merchandise. So if you want to grab a t-shirt or raglan or tank top or sticker pack or koozie, you can head over to horrordads.com, suit yourself up in some Horror Dads merch. We are on social media everywhere at Horror Dads. And Instagram is our primary channel. Mm-hmm. And last but not least, if you do like the show, please leave us a five-star review on the platform you listen on. It goes a really long way, helps others find the show, and it makes us look and feel good. So we would appreciate it if you'd uh, do that for us. Yeah, and one last shout-out. I don't know if we've announced it yet on the main show. I know we talked about it on Patreon, but we were on uh, our buddy Michael's show, We Love Horror. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We did an episode where we talked about... uh, Our favorite films to watch in the October time. Exactly. So, yeah. You can find us over there if you want some additional content. Absolutely. But that being said, let's head over to Tim. You guys are going to love this interview. Tim's an amazing dude. And I promise you, you're going to be on Amazon looking at Goosebumps books tonight like we've already been doing. So for sure. Enjoy. Let's get goosey. 
Welcome to episode 77 of the Horror Dads podcast. We are thrilled today to be joined by Tim Jacobus, who has been instrumental in haunting our nightmares since childhood. Tim's an uh, illustrator, graphic designer, who all of you know from the original Goosebumps art. Uh, he did the majority of the artwork from the books from the original series and series beyond that. So, Tim, thank you so much, man. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks for the invite. Tim, I just got to say, uh, first off, we're big fans. We appreciate you. Huge fans. Yeah, just huge fans. <laughs> appreciate you uh, taking the time to come on the show. Um, Goosebumps, you know, we'll spend quite a bit of time talking about what that means to us and can't wait to hear about what it means to you and what an instru- you know, instrumental part of uh, that series was in our, our childhood growing up. But uh, tell us about your art career, man. Like where, where things start for you? You know, uh, where'd you go to school? Where'd you, uh, uh, like what, what, you know, precipitated you starting your career in the, in the arts? I, um, I live in Bud Lake, New Jersey. Now uh, I've always lived within a 20 mile radius of where I am. Uh, I grew up in a town called Denville. Um, very, you know, middle America, um, we were we weren't rich we weren't poor uh had a lot of friends this was post world war 2 so the baby boom was was big and heavy and there were you know in my four block radius there were 14 guys my age so it was it was fight camp every day <laughs> and uh, uh but um from the art side of stuff um my dad uh, could draw. Uh, he didn't, you know, he didn't do it professionally or anything like that. He just had a knack for it. And he would use it as a, as a tool to describe stuff. So if we were having a conversation at the table, uh, you know, the kitchen table, and he said, oh, I'm thinking about building a deck on the back of, back of the house, uh, it's going to look something like this. And he would flip over his napkin and take out the pencil and sure. yeah. draw something in perspective. And um, so for me, the idea that using drawings as a part of communication started real early. I didn't think of it as a career, didn't know anything about art as a career, but that was really the the genesis of the whole thing was that art was something you did. It's a tool and it's a, you know, picture's worth a thousand words. So if you can do quick sketches, something, you can get one of your points across. Yeah. Absolutely. So, um, I didn't know about art as a career until I was uh, a senior in high school. And, uh, it's not that I didn't know about it. I didn't consider it. Um, my father was a big, uh, proponent to getting a college education because he didn't have one. He, he grew up poor and um, he, he, that was very important to the, him. My older sister got a, uh, a college degree and I was signed up and ready to go. And when I was a senior in high school, the way it used to work was you needed a hundred credits to graduate. And that was the, the the minimum requirement to get you out of school. Now, when I hit my senior year, I had 
90 credits. So I could have easily, they gave you that opportunity to take a half a day at school and go, if you wanted to go get a job, you could go get a job. But as long as you, uh, you know, you didn't have to be there the whole time. So when I hit my dad up with that idea that, hey, I'm going to take a half a day, he was not having any of it. He's like, I don't care what you do. I don't care if you go into basket weaving or modern dance. I don't care. You're not coming home. That's going to lead to nothing but trouble. And, uh, And I was participating in sports at the time. So the idea that I would come home to have him drive me back, to come back and get me, to drive me back home, so um went down to my guidance counselor and, you know, uh, I was an okay student, but I wasn't interested in taking, you know, extra physics classes or yeah. anything like that. You know, my interests were, you know, I liked to draw and I was like, all right, well, what what do we got here for, for extra art classes? And the guidance counselor was going, well, we don't have a lot, you know, like you've already, you've already, you know, done them all. He goes, but, you know, I just got this thing uh, from the vocational school uh, in the next town and they have this thing called commercial art. He goes, I, I can't tell you anything about it because it's brand new. I don't know. But the way it would work is we'd put you, you would come here to the high school, check in the homeroom, get on a bus. We'd send you over to the next town, and for half a day, you would be in these art classes. And I was like, all right, I'm in. I don't, you know, that's enough. I already, you sold me. So um, we, me and a, a handful of other guys took a, took this uh, took this class, and that was the real eye-opener, because this was now art as a career. This was getting art camera ready. This was all about production work. This was, you know, this was nuts and bolts commercial art. And I was hooked. And uh, so after just a few months of that, I was like, you know, I I don't want to, I don't want to do regular college. I want to go to, I want to go to art school. So uh, went home and had to tell my dad that I wasn't interested in going to college and I'd rather go to art school. And uh, that did not go over that well. <laughs> and um, he was, you know, he was pretty much set against it. It wasn't a no, but it was way far away from a yes. So you got some work to do yeah, for convincing. <laughs> yeah. So, but the guy who was my instructor at the vocational school, name was Frank Neubauer. Frank Neubauer was a uh, Korean War veteran. He was not what you would think of as a art teacher. He had the flat top. He smoked cigarettes. (laughs) He was a gruff guy. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) uh, He he said, listen, you know, let me, uh, you know, I told him I was, you know, I wanted to go to art school and that, you know, my dad wasn't having it. And he goes, "Uh, get me your dad's phone number. Let me, let me see if I can talk to him. So he got a hold of my dad on his own accord, told him to meet him at the bar. They both sat down (laughs) over a beer and Frank Neubauer talked my father into letting me go to art school. That's so, amazing. Uh, yeah, it was uh, it was it was a it was a key point in uh, in in my uh, in my art growth. So uh, yeah, so that's 
that's how I ended up at art school. And, uh, you know, then it all starts to, to fall into place on, all right, we're doing this. We're, you know, we're pushing all the chips in and art is the career. We're no longer, you know, hanging on the fringes and going, well, maybe I'll do this. Maybe I'll do that. Yeah. This is, this is the career. So we were doing a little bit of research to kind of identify like what, what project kind of broke you into the scene. So we, we found a couple different titles for, from a couple different sources. One I saw was a, <laughs> a sci-fi uh, book called uh, Null A3 and Jamie. Null A3. Yes. Yeah. Did you, did you find a different one, Jamie? Um, yeah. The one I had found was uh, the great thirst. So the great uh, thirst. So we've been arm wrestling over thirst. this. So you got to settle this debate for us. You're digging hard. You guys are, you guys are working. So the great thirst was my first job it it started it was my first job and it wasn't sci-fi it wasn't fantasy it wasn't you know this was a, a a african watering hole image lots of animals and um this project moved incredibly incredibly slow so uh i started that one first and the art director just kept keeping me working on it. Yeah, that looks great. I want more animals. Take it back home. Keep working on it. So I'll bet you I had that piece on my desk for a year on and off. Bring it in. No, we want this. We want that. Wow. So while that was going on, I did get a, a another cover from um, the same publisher as the New Lay 3 book that you were looking at. And um the first one I did for him was called, it was either The Fugitive in Transit or Brains Incorporated. And uh, these were, you know, science fiction book. The guy was real, you know, he wanted stuff to happen quick. So I finished two of those covers before I finished The Great Thirst. So oh, even nice. though Great Thirst was the first one we got, I finished two other book covers <laughs> before I even finished that one. So they all got jumbled in there. But uh, yeah, you guys are right there at the front. Um, was there some? Was there any years attached to uh, that Great Thirst piece? 85. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. Because I, I got out of school in 81 and it took a couple of years of rebuilding my portfolio before that that, that first one came along. It sounds like those employers were couldn't be more night and day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so there, yes, there's there were people. So Donald A. Walheim, who was the head of DAW at the time, he was he was in his eighties. He was an old dude, and again, no, you know, a no nonsense guys. I had a lot of these no nonsense guys in my uh, in my upbringing. And uh, he just wanted, you know, good art. Don't give me excuses. Let's go get these things done. And the other guy was kind of breaking me in and feeling me out. He had been in the business a long time and knew not to take a, you know, a fresh artist who had zero experience and put him in a predicament where, you know, the deadline's too tight and he ends up with a a lousy piece of artwork. Sure. So I think he was just, he put something that was on the, you know, had a real slow burn to it and he could keep control over it. We ended up with a really nice piece of artwork. And um, 
I, I got a, a number of pieces from him and they, after that, they moved at a, a more normal pace. Nice. Awesome. I love that, uh, the way that we know you now was facilitated by a conversation in a smoky bar over a beer. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Like, yeah, we probably and, wouldn't even know your work. A lot, of, a lot of life works like that. There's, <laughs> yeah. a, you know, there's a, there's a beer, there's a bar, <laughs> somebody smoking somewhere. And, uh, yeah, exactly. That's great. So the book cover niche, it's, it's seems pretty specific. So, uh, did you kind of seek that out or did it just sort of start to happen after the first one went successfully and then word started so to get around? The is so again, you're we're talking middle eighties is when I'm starting. And what you gotta remember or try to, you know, roll back the time machine here and realize that paperback book covers were a major form of entertainment. TV, I mean, color TV was okay. Uh, there was still cable TV wasn't really happening. So you had, you know, an antenna on your house and you got two channels, maybe. Yeah. Um, movies were okay, but special effects were still pretty lame. Um, uh, you know, no social media, no, no internet, no. So, the paperback market was huge and they put out a ton of titles every month. And that was great for illustrators and artists because there was just nothing but covers and volumes of them. And there is multiple publishers in Manhattan. So it was a great place to get in. And there was all different genres of books. So, you know, you, you know, once you, got yourself in something you could do, you know, if you like sci-fi, you could do sci-fi. If you were a romance guy, you could go do romance. And there was enough of those individual uh, covers coming in to keep you busy on a regular basis and you can make a living at it. So uh, one of my instructors at the art school I went to was a, you know, was doing books. And uh, I just got, I just got hooked on the idea. Now you're not supposed to go out of straight out of art school and say, Oh, I'm going to do book covers. You're supposed to kind of work your way through the system and, you know, maybe go work for a a magazine, then maybe become the art director of the small magazine then move to a bigger publication. And uh, I decided to just bypass all that stuff (laughs) and just go in and, Yes, you can do it that way, but it's much more painful. So, you know, there was a lot of years with no money and lots of rejection and plenty of times where you go, maybe, maybe I don't have it. Maybe this isn't supposed to happen. And uh, um, luckily, you know, it's even though I got that first cover in 85, I did. Well, I, I probably did two covers the first year and they don't pay a lot. And if you're doing two covers a year, you better have another job. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, you're, you're not getting rich. You're not paying bills. It's, it's kind of a, a, a glamorous hobby at that point. Sure. And uh, the whole thing is you have to get that work coming in on a regular basis before you're, you know, paying the bills and uh, not having to stop and, I, you know, get a, go get a bartending job or, you know, uh, I did everything. Uh, I, I was, I even worked on, you know, I rode the back of a garbage truck 
just to, just because it was convenient to what I was doing. Sure. Uh, but uh, yeah, so paperbacks were uh, a, a, just a huge avenue for, you know, a lot of work. So it kind of chose me more than I chose it. I had read that uh, you kept your work very versatile. You tried not to stay in one niche. Um, but I noticed also that you did a lot of sci-fi and horror-inspired stuff. Is that something that you kind of gravitated towards, or did it just kind of fall in your lap? Uh, yeah, so you're right. I, I, I thought at the beginning that it would be best if you could, you know, don't get into a a pocket and that you could get more work that way. And yes, that may have been true, uh, but it kind of cuts both ways. People start to know you as a, you know, for a particular thing. Uh, if you do young adult books, they go, okay, he's the young adult book guy. And if you do horror, they go, oh, he's the, like, you get put into a box really fast. Whether you want to or not. Yeah. Whether you want to or not. Um, so, what I was attracted to, and it, it started early. So I was a fan of this uh, illustrator, famous illustrator at the time. He's still around. He's still famous. Uh, his name's Roger Dean. Uh, he does all the album covers for the band Yes, and oh, yeah. lots of other uh, lots of other bands. But that was the one that put him on the map. And. I, you know, uh, back in the day, that's all, you know, we all had the album collection. So we all had the album covers and that's where all the cool art was. And I became a big fan of his stuff and bought books about him and searched out his art. And um, the appeal right away, uh, and it made me change what I was doing, was when you first start drawing, you draw what you can see you know, or what's in front of you or what you can copy. And then what I loved about this guy's work was now the stuff he's painting and drawing doesn't exist. You're conjuring it up. So you got to get a a base down where you can draw what you know and what you see, and then you can take it to the next level and go, okay, well, what if, you know, all all trees grew sideways and, you know, there's, floating mountains and you know like then you can start to conjure up realistic looking images that are in no way realistic and that was that was the thrill to me uh to come up with something that you know didn't exist anywhere you couldn't get a picture a photo of it and uh and it would uh you know it would make you think yeah 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 that's amazing i love that so so we'll just ask you the question are you a horror fan or do you like uh, uh, the genre? I, I, I'm 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 not a big horror fan. Oh, okay. Uh, I I I I appreciate it. Uh, I I like more of the uh, if if there's a part of it that I like, it's the more of the psychological uh, horror side of things. You know, um, I still am a you know my beliefs are that. The, the shit that goes on in between your ears is <laughs> more scary than anything anywhere outside. And that's more scary than any, you know, threat of an intruder or yeah. the guy in the mask that's coming to get you. Yeah. So um, I was uh, I I got moved into the horror uh, genre 
with with the Goosebumps stuff. I had done some mild horror stuff where I had done a lot of young adult books. Uh, you know, that's the you know the teen market, and you know again there was science fiction, there was fantasy, uh, but every almost in every story, inevitably there's a there's an element of scare. Yep. So you know I started to lean into that. And of course, when Goosebumps came along, that's, you know, we throttled it all up. And uh, I I think now this is, I, I've never said this, but I think because I'm not, you know, I didn't go into this thing as a big time horror fan and go into it at, you know, so I was in my, uh, I think 92 30s when goosebumps started i wasn't you know i didn't have a whole bunch of dark images floating around my head yeah, yeah. so when it was time to scare you guys i wasn't you know i wasn't punishing <laughs> you you know we were we were keeping it a little bit lighter so i think because i came into it kind of new we all got on the ride together yeah it worked out yeah i was so 92 i think was the first book so um i was five so i probably started collecting these when I was, you know, in the six, seven range. Cause I had an older sister, uh, who Jamie ended up marrying. And, uh, wow. I remember we would, uh, so distinctly the, the book fairs, you know, you would get that, uh, the pamphlet that they would send home. Oh, from school, yeah. And it was like <laughs> so much ink on that thing and you could barely read what was on it, but you would circle, you know, what you aimed to buy at the book fair and you'd kind of calculate it out and you'd work it out with your parents and be like, Hey, you know, I, I was going to get, this and this and this. Um, well, no, don't get that one. Okay, get this one. Well, if I get this one, I have to get this one too. Calculate it out. All right, I need $18.50, right? And you would take that cash and you would get exactly that and you'd bring your bundle home. And I just remember, I remember how that that take-home uh, insert smelled so distinctly. You know what I mean? It like it smelled like yeah, printer that, ink. Yeah, that, that, heavy, that heavy mimeographed ink that wasn't quite dry when you got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then just walking into the into the book fair and it was just like so alluring and it was crazy to think like, okay, it's being held typically in the library, right? You're surrounded by books and you're in there all the time. But there was a different uh, appeal to walking in and thinking like this is going to be mine to keep and to collect and to have, you know, a relationship beyond the seven days I'm allowed to have it or whatever it might be. And I just remember cherishing everything I took home from those book fairs. But but the Goosebumps books were always, always the premium. That was the gold standard. That was the premier thing that we were all in search of. So uh, it's awesome that we're talking to you right now. And, you know, you were part of yeah. a part Our of that attraction. Those, yeah. that, that scholastic uh, book uh, thing, you know, that in school program was, uh, you know, that was that was such a great way to get the good, not only the goosebumps books, but books in front of you. Yeah. They were do they were doing exactly like you say, you're now purchasing books from scholastic. So they have a very captured market right there. Yeah. No other bu- publisher had that access to school scholastic pin that thing down way early. You go home and tell your parents, hey, I want books. You know, can I buy some books? Yeah. What parent's going to say, no, no, no books yeah. for you? You know, <laughs> uh, sure, of course I want you to get books. So, and like you say, now you're getting out of class to come down to the library to go purchase some stuff. And like you say, it was, it, it, it took on a, a an adventure. And 
we were just, I was lucky enough to be there when Goosebumps started. And we were kind of the first to get something that looked really cool into your school library. Yeah. So, you know, like they stood out. There was, you know, there, there may have been another horror book in there, but it didn't look like that. And um, so the, the, so the way it worked was the books appeared in your library first and you're just going, what is this? And like you say, now you're trying to get it. The school has maybe a couple copies, but you have to wait for your turn. Gets to be a thing. But then the, the, the fair comes or this classic book fair comes along. Now you can get your own copy. And once we are now not just selling to the schools, now we're selling to you guys individually. That's where the, that's where the boat starts to rise. Sure. And that's where goosebumps takes off. Now tell us a little bit about how uh, goosebumps, your goosebumps career began. I believe from what I saw, it was uh, you and another artist, Jim Thiessen, uh both, both got what a cover to audition yeah and it so you got to remember that goosebumps there wasn't a lot of hoopla around it um the the popular notion was we don't know if this is gonna work and it's there's a good chance it won't at the time there was no young boy market for books you guys you know could have cared less sure comic books maybe you know but uh, the idea of reading books scholastic was selling zero the only uh market from the seven to eleven age group was girls and at first they were going all right well we'll try pitching this thing and girls will be our our market and but you know nobody was thrilled about it so when it came along um they were going, well, not quite sure how to position this thing. Do we want to do regular horror? And Jim Thiessen was a regular horror artist. He had done a number of covers and uh, he'd been around. He was a little older than I was and he'd been around a while. Fantastic artist. And uh, I had been doing these um, covers for Scholastic called Women in Jeopardy. And they were kind of like kind of mystery books you know they were they were very uh you know Nancy they were all kind of the same stories yeah so you know the mom stumbles onto you know the mom with the three kids stumbles onto a crime police aren't listening to her when she tries to tell them that she knows something and she solves the crime herself and you know then adventures ensue throughout the book and uh I started to do covers for those and we would always kind of do a formula for the covers as well. The books had a formula, so did the covers. So it was always some sort of building in the background, something in the foreground up close that was, you know, that would, uh, you know, like there's a tenement building in the background and there's a doll laying in the, you know, in the gutter. And then next to the doll is a, you know, a cigarette button. So you go, Oh wow. And there's always one light on in the building. It's always dark. So uh, when the goosebumps thing came along, they were going, Hey, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to get this thing off the ground. We're not sure if it's going to be you or Jim, but you know, Jim's going to do his thing and he's going to do a a horror cover. And 
can you do another one of those like women in jeopardy things? You know, it's the, the story is called welcome to dead house and, you know, do that thing that you always do, you know, put one light on and the, and the, the low perspective. And I was like, yeah, 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 I could do that. So um, that's how it went off. And the reason that I got a chance to stay on the series, which at that time I think was only going to be two more books um, was they thought Jim stuff was just a little too scary and oh, yeah. they didn't want to get, you know, blow the kids out of the water. And the stuff that made mine a little less scary was I was using all those rich and vibrant colors. So they said, all right, you, you know, you get to do the next two. It, it wasn't like I won any prize, you know, yeah. like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you know, it was like, all right. And because it was a series, they were trying to get off the ground. We weren't even getting paid like, the the normal rate we are taking a reduced amount of money just and who cares you know like i looked at it and i said this looks like fun i read you know the short synopsis by rl stein i'm going okay this yeah this is fun i'm in you know i, I know i can do this and and this will you know it, it, and it was nice to hear that there would be a couple of them because most of the time when you're you're doing book covers it's one and done yeah. And then yeah. you wait yeah. and then something else comes along. And, you know, again, it's that consistency thing is what you're looking for. And uh, yeah, so um, I got past that, that first round and um, it wasn't until I did the cover for Say Cheese and Die. Love that and one. then like it all clicked, you know, I was like, oh, that's a ridiculous title. I see. I see what we're doing here. Like, we're not just being scary. We're kind of being a little funny too. Yeah. yeah. So once I got that, then it was like, oh yeah, Lynn, we're going to exaggerate stuff, and we're going to be, we're we, you know, we can be a little over the top, and uh, that will, you know, that'll work. So uh, That's yeah, that was. Uh, I had the. That was. It's kind of how it got going. I had the Goosebumps movie on this evening. Um, with the kids upstairs and I was talking to them about, you know, the Jack Black version, they incorporate so many different of the storylines. So they were asking me questions about, you know, why these items, like why these things, what, 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 what made it so that it was these selected characters or yeah, how did, they, how did these monsters yeah, get here? Like why, why, why <laughs> this pretty much is what they're at, which I thought was a really compelling question because my oldest is eight and my youngest is four. Right. So we're talking through this and I was, uh, I, w- I I paused and I thought for a moment and I was like, you know what? I guess as I always took for granted, I was like, no, that's just how it is. Right. Because when we were growing up, whether you're learning math or learning the arts, it's like, no, you do this and this is how it's done. And you just nod your head. And you're like, okay, cool. Yeah. That's how I'm going to do this. Um, so now it's, it's cool to see uh, kids question a little bit more, I guess. Um, but I was thinking about like the praying mantis monster and all these other things. And it's like these things that as a kid, they have wonder and mystery and, and unknown quality to them, like a sponge. You know what I mean? Like a sponge is the center, the focal point of one of these things. And as a kid, you walk past one every single day, a hundred times in your kitchen. Right. And you always think it's like, oh, that's just a thing that exists here. And then when you stop and think about it for a moment, it just you introduce these very mundane, um, these very mundane objects or items or, or, or people or, you know, a librarian or just people you see in your community. And then 
you add a little mystery and a little intrigue to it. And it, it's cool because it is ironic. It is scary. It is funny. And it has all those different qualities. And you can just appreciate it if you're around those things. And it took, you know, so many of these things that were around us all the time and just made it into a story. And that's what was so fun and compelling about it, I think. But from your your, your kid's point of view, and I get what he's saying, because you had the you had the the luxury of the history and you know, there's the goosebumps umbrella, but every time you opened up a book, it's a new monster, new place, new kids, new, everything's new. Everything's a new story. And they're all one-off stories that are very interesting. They, They kind of fit together, but they never tried to, it wasn't like we were trying to tell the Harry Potter story. Yeah, This was just, this is it. Here it is. And then, Next month we're gonna we're gonna come up with some other crazy thing. So from your your son's point of view, it's just like, yeah, okay, well, what's going on? There's a ventriloquist dummy, <laughs> a mechanical praying mantis, and I, I don't understand how it's these things go together on. at all. <laughs> this does not have any cohesion, and I get it. I, I totally get it. Yeah. So you know, he, he you know he just didn't have the luxury of the history that you guys had. Yep, that's true. Yeah. So was it uh, Say Cheese and Die or was there a certain publication or did you re- reach a certain point in the process of, of making these covers that you you realize like, oh my God, this is really, really a thing. And it's a thing that's going to be here for a really long time that's going to stay. Was so um, again, I'm going to throw the, the old man card in there and go, you got to remember <laughs> There's no social media. There's no, I'm being told from the art directors and people that I work with is, Oh, this is doing good, but okay. This is doing good. That just, those are just words at the time. I don't have any kids. So it's not like I have a, you know, if my son, you know, was growing up then and I saw him going, Hey dad, you know, everybody's reading your, you know, like, all that's going past me. I got no kids. And yeah. most of my friends who have kids that age are older than me. They're not my immediate, you know, they're not my in my immediate group. So I'm doing goosebumps for a while. I, I know it's going okay because they keep giving them to me. I'm getting a steady paycheck. The the price of the books have, have nudged up a little bit. Mm. And, you know, I'm hearing that, hey, we got a side job for you. You know, they're going to have, you know, it got ridiculous after a while where it was, uh, we're going to come out with goosebumps glow in the dark boxer shorts. And, uh, you know, we need a giant curly that we can pin the pin, you know, like, so I was getting extra work up that way and I'm going, all right, well, this thing's doing fine. And then um, I went to a friend of mine's house who was a little bit older and who had kids in, you know, guys that are, they would be your age now, but they were, you know, they were, uh, uh, the the goosebumps age and this guy's gone. So, you know, what are you doing? You know, uh, you know, how's the, you know, how's the art business? Oh, it's pretty good. And uh, thinks anything you work on anything? It's like, yeah, I'm working on this series. You probably never heard of it uh, called goosebumps and everybody who all the, like, it was like, I, you know, I, I said, uh, uh, you know, I dropped an F bomb in yeah. the room. Like everybody stopped. So they all clinging and shit. Get, get out of here. What are you? And then they're going, go, you know, call down here. You know, Cause all the kids were in the basement. 
Tell them to bring their books up. Get 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 up. Get up. And at that point, I went, "Oh wow, this is this is a thing." Whoa. So yeah, I was. I'm sure I was one of the last people to really understand what was going on because I was so I was so removed from it. How many were you doing per year at like the height of it? Oh, at the when we when we first started out, it was one a month. Yeah. Nice. So there was there was a dozen of them. There was a solid dozen. There was some special edition stuff that was always going on. And then um I was doing other covers for other publishers at the time. So, you know, I was putting out one a week for wow. uh, quite a number of My years. God. Yeah. So it was, you know, gotta keep, you know, <laughs> gotta yeah. make the donuts. And uh uh yeah, we it got it was always, it was busy. It was never to the point where I was losing my mind or I was freaking out, but you also had to, you know, take it seriously. You got to put in a full work day. You got to get up at a certain hour. You got to sit down. It's a job. You know, yeah. you gotta, you gotta put in the hours to get the stuff done. Yeah. Was uh, RL involved at all with you? Like, did you work with him on a uh, transactional basis or no? So uh, you would think that should be the way it would work, right? <laughs> you know, he he's creating a story. He'd call me up. We'd have a discussion. I'd tell him what I was going to do. We were doing goosebumps for two years before I shook his hand and ever talked to him. Man, wow. Yeah, they kept us in, you know, again, the, uh, the business. I, I worked with art directors. He worked with editors. Mm. The art directors and the editors talked to each other. There's no – they just – kept us away from each other. Uh, you know, I don't think they were doing it, you know, maliciously or anything like that. It's just sure. this, the system that they had. And uh, yeah, it was a couple of years before I got a chance to to meet him in person and shake his hand. And um, That had to be cool. We got to be friends over the years. And uh, we, the, you know, greatest thing that ever happened was, you know, being able to, to text pictures and we just are passing goosebumps related stuff it's basically you see this new tattoo somebody got another goosebumps tattoo here check this one out that's amazing uh uh, yeah so yeah yeah it was a couple of years before i met him and what's great about about that is because we never had to um be together for work when we get together it's it's purely social mm. you know it's just to hang out it's you know he tells me about what his kids do and i tell him about what my kids doing uh his his wife is a sweetheart and uh you know we just talk about everything else you know we'll talk about hey what are you working on but it's not again it's it's a friend relationship and not a business relationship that's, that's amazing yeah that's so uh, cool. now when you would get the title of the book would they just give you the title and say give us some artwork or did you get a treatment did you read did you get a synopsis of each book you were going to make the art for so um always got the title because uh, when rl writes he he creates the title first and mm. then he starts the book now because we were on, you know, he was cranking out one a month too. There wasn't a book to read yet. And so he would just give me a short little synopsis. And as time went on, it got, it got shorter and shorter. Yeah. And uh, I, I, that that's okay by me. You know, just a couple of sentences is plenty. Yeah. I'm sure uh, there was a level of trust there too, you know, 
on after his party. Uh, sure after yeah. a while we had so yeah once once the thing got up and running and, and everybody kind of had that attitude where it it didn't start out well and then mm-hmm. so and nobody it had low expectations so there wasn't a lot of attention put on me and what I was doing they were just sure this is good you're getting it done this is yeah. fine and then it went from nearly being uh canceled to crazy sales in in like a 60 day period yeah. and once it took off then everybody was smart enough to go don't mess with this don't anybody touch any of the moving parts <laughs> this is working really great yeah. and again people were just left me to do my own thing. So I'd get a couple sentences in the title of the book. I would work with an art director. We would talk about stuff. If they had an idea, tell me I'll, I'll crank one of yours out and then I'm going to do two other drawings and maybe it'll be a variation on something we talked about. Maybe it'll be something I'm just concocting out of that left field and we'll, we'll take it from there. And then they would just pick a sketch and go, yeah, yeah. Uh, number two looks great. Go to that one and and, and hurry up and uh, <laughs> just go home. And I paint it and I turn it in. And they never had corrections. They were always like, yeah, that looks great. Here's the next one. Get, get working on the sketches for that one. So it was this, you know, one after the other after the other. And again, the the interesting, funny part about it was. I was always on to the next book, so I would only know kind of what every Goosebump story was about. I didn't know how they ended. I didn't know what the cool twist was. I didn't know. All I knew was kind of what they were about. So um, I think that's why the covers, I never gave anything away because I couldn't. I didn't know anything. Because you didn't I, have anything to give. You know, <laughs> I would have to be struck by lightning to to guess what was going to happen in the in in the story, so uh, so those yeah, were all, the was, originals uh, were paintings, though. Yes, uh, digital art was in its infancy at that point, and sure. you had to be like crazy wealthy, and you know, or work for a company that spent a lot. You know, like home computing wasn't really off the ground yet. So yeah, I had gone to school for traditional art, and uh, the paintings were acrylic paintings, uh, twenty inches by twenty inches. Uh, combination of uh, sable brush and then airbrush and airbrush is what gives it that polished yeah yeah almost yeah. digital look itself and uh, and you know uh, airbrush was a big thing um, I was doing you know I was doing cars and motorcycle tanks before I got into uh, you know, when I was in high school and I was trying to, you know, scrounge up. So I, I did sign lettering and, you know, all that, you know, that, all that stuff that all of us used to do, uh, you know, in, in our early careers. What uh, are those in a museum somewhere? Those originals? Are they around? <laughs> uh, the uh, the original Goosebumps stuff? Yeah, the original, like the very original would, paintings for all of yeah, those. So, um, so because the digital world didn't exist. Uh, Scholastic knew that they, you know, they were going to be making lots of collateral material using the the Goosebumps images. So the way the book uh, business generally would work is they would, uh, I would do a painting, I would turn it in, they would get it photographed. After about a month or so, they would give it back to you. 
So I have an attic full of artwork. Oh, wow. Scholastic wanted to hang on to those pieces. So they said, all right, we, we're going to constantly be needing these. So we, we're going to pay you X amount of money and we get to keep them. And at the time I was like, you know, sure. I, you know, who cares? You know, I already have an attic full of them. I don't, you know, yeah, yeah. the idea that they were of additional value other than the cover art was totally lost on me. And, you know, these were just things that I was making once, a, you know, like they, they were, you know, to me, they were fleeting. Yeah. Uh, and now, uh, you know, I would love to have them now. Uh, I would love to just see them. I haven't seen them since the day I finished them and threw them in Federal Express and the way they went. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Scholastic has them. Um, there's a handful of them that are um, hanging uh, in the, the Scholastic uh, lobby. Um, and then the rest of them are in a, a warehouse someplace. Hmm. So um, we're going to yeah. reach out to Mr. Scholastic here and try and get. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's funny. I, over the years, I've tried a, a couple of things. I, you know, uh, again, most of it is due to me not pushing harder and you know pursuing it yeah. hard. Again, you're dealing with a giant company, sure. so uh, you know, one of the, a, a handful of things I tried was first, what you know, how, how much, how much for me to buy them back. Or, you know, what do we got to do that I get them from you? You can't be using them anymore, you know, and you've got digital copies. Is there any reason why you think you should need them? Um, then, you know, I got I got no real response from that. Then the second thing I was saying was, all right, maybe you still think you need them. Can I come in, get them and take them out and tour with them a little bit get let everybody see them you know and they'll bring them back and we can put them back in the closet again but let me you know let me get them out of there let's uh let's move them around so uh yeah i didn't get any uh, no no responses from anything but that's that's not that they're being mean that just there's a business yeah there's nobody you know like that's somebody would have to take that task on and they all have a job there and uh you know anyway yeah that's what i'd like to do so uh, you said you have kids, uh, a, a yes. kid or, or my son kids? is, uh, I have a son, Jack and Jack is 24. Oh, awesome. Is so how is he, did he grow up super into goosebumps or no? No, no, no? That, yeah. <laughs> nobody, no, no kid is into what his dad does. Yeah. That's zero, you know, <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, but That's you got to remember. So no, goosebumps son, I'm famous was... for these books, read them. <laughs> <laughs> you got to remember. So goosebumps was huge and then it took a dip and then it came back up again and yep. during that dip period was when he would have been uh. reading them so he knew of them he knew i did them um uh, and you know it was a you know it was the two two dollar fact that he could tell his friends at school but it didn't you know it didn't have the the buzz um and it wasn't until when the Goosebumps movie came out and um, they flew me and him out to California. We got to see a premiere of the movie. We got to meet Jack Black. Um, You know, there was people there saying nice things about his dad and it was like, Oh, 
Yeah, this is yeah. this is a little See? bigger than I thought it was. <laughs> we had a we had interviewed a, an actor uh, on the show, Nathan Basil, and he was he he had a very similar story about how he had worked quite a bit growing up, and his his kids like just didn't connect, and they were just like, our dad works in the arts and the film industry, and like he by that point in time he wasn't acting as much, I guess. But he said he was out at dinner one evening, and someone came up and was like, oh my god, you were in behind the master as Leslie Vernon, we love you, blah blah. blah. And uh, so the guy walks away and he said he looked over at his son and his son was just staring at him real wide eyed. And he's like, see, I, I damn it. I told you I've been telling you all these years. <laughs> used to be somebody. I used to be yeah. somebody. <laughs> yeah. Real, real funny. Real funny story. So, there. yeah. It, it, and it's it's even funnier now because I, I, I've been to a few comic conventions and uh, I, I, I brought him with me to one of them. We went to Denver together. And uh, that's a whole nother, you know, now there's, a, you know, there's just lots of people who come up to you and tell oh, you yeah. nice yeah. shit. And then I, that's that's always the running joke was, like, pay attention. Why don't you be nice to me like these people are nice to me? Yeah. These people don't yeah. even know me. Yeah. I know. Look, and look how nice they are. You don't say shit. They respect me. <laughs> oh, I love it. So, all right. 1996 so 92 to 96 i think was the uh initial series run uh for the books and it seems like the show started in 95 and ran to 98 so when uh the television series launched did were you consulted for any like art direction or anything related to no, that no that was a, it it was a, a totally separate entity uh, I watched the TV show like you guys watched the TV yeah. show. It was just like, all right, let's see, um, you know, let's see if we're going, you know, just more of a fascination of are we going to use my artwork and closely or are they going to reinvent the wheel? And because, again, they had a very, very small budget and, you know, they had to take some artistic license that time to yeah. to. You know, because we never, I was never conjuring these things up, thinking about possible TV or movie stuff. This was sure. 2D art. You know, yeah, it's yeah, just supposed yeah. to live on the page. Well, and I think uh, it's so, wild. yeah. So I was, as, I was, I was as fascinated by you guys were, and I'd watch it. And, um, but I have to say, I like them way more now, now that they're, you know, they're 30 years old and you, the dialogue and the clothes and the hair yeah. and just so the, you know, the whole, the, the campiness, the whole thing. There's so much more entertaining now. I, Absolutely. I, I feel though that the general aesthetic of the show, so I know R.L. Stein wrote the books and he did an amazing job with those, but I feel like the aesthetic was really defined by your art and the color saturation that you reference like that, that bled for me. It's the same thing as the cover of a VHS, which is what compelled us us as kids walking through the video store to rent certain horror films that we ended up falling in love with. Like that was the huge attraction, right? That was the billboard that brought us there. And Definitely. then you enter the world and it's like, okay, I have one visual point of reference. And it was not even page one. It was before that, right? It was the cover. There you go. So that bled into, I, fe- I feel like our interpretation, our reading of the books and there's no way that that didn't happen with the with the show too. So I think your imprint is all over everything that happened that we all came to know and love so much. And um, I feel like uh, think of Slappy. There are a lot of different ways you can do a dummy, right? And that that 
image of that dummy it, that is part of my brain. Absolutely. Like, yeah. There's there's a slappy shaped brain tendril no somewhere doubt. right up here. Like that's just in there. No doubt. So yeah, I feel like whether well, they want that's to admit very it or nice. Not, you know, uh, you know yeah. it, it wasn't. Uh, you know, at no time was did I get a chance to be stepping back and looking at any sort of big picture. I was always just, let's do the cover, do the best as you can. You know, this is so cool because I'm going to go back to my Harry Potter references. Usually when you get on a series, you're it's it can be mind-numbing because mm. you're doing that. It's the same characters and they're doing something different. And But it's always the same. There's a sameness to them sure. where if R.L. Stein, man, he was just blowing my mind. Like you say, after a while, I'm going really a sponge we're we're we're, we're doing a <laughs> yeah. killer sponge I, 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 okay all right all right I, yeah. I, I gotta figure out how to do this i don't know i don't know where the scary is but we're gonna find it so um uh, that was kind of there was always that personal fun at my house where okay you're doing the sketches and you know um another one where this happened vividly was the blob that ate everyone, oh, which is this yep. giant heart looking thing coming down the street with its tongue out and it's eating everything in its path. But as a pencil sketch, it looked like a baked potato coming down the street <laughs> and I'm going, Oh no, you know, like I screwed it up this time. There, there is nothing scary about a potato coming down the street. And then when they okayed it, it's like, Oh man. And then you start to add the color to it and, throw a few veins in there and you're like, Oh, oh wait a minute. All right. We're this okay. We're okay. Yeah. This is working. <laughs> I love that. Do you, so, That's so amazing. Do you have a, a personal favorite of the ones that you did? They, uh, they change, you know, yeah. uh, it changes all the time. Uh, there's ones that, you know, catch my attention. And then, uh, you know, I'll say this one's my favorite. And then like, uh, I tell everybody when I'm at a convention, you know, I'll, I'm going to, you know, I'll pick one that weekend and I'll say that's my favorite for the weekend. <laughs> yeah. You come to another show, I'm going to tell you a different one the yeah. next show that I see. So they, there's, you know, there's ones that cycle around and then there's ones that I forgot, you know, you kind of forget about. And then you go, oh, yeah, yeah, I, that one, that one's cool. I really like that one. So um, the one that I like and that lots of people like. That's, you know, in the, you know, in that top tier is uh, a day at Harland. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's recognizable. That one was fun to do. I really like the depth in that piece and the, you know, the carnival that's off in the distance is really what gets your attention, even though, yes, there's a giant monster on the sign, but it's the uh, it's the carnival off in the distance that that really works for me. Yeah. Jamie, do you have one? Then, a favorite? And then I then then you go to the like you say the the ridiculous. So uh, egg monsters from Mars. I, you know that one just I, I just it was uh, ludicrous in the idea. Then I had to come up with something that was going to work. And you know while you're doing it, you kind of end up laughing and going, "I right, yeah, this is <laughs> having this is what I do it. for yeah. a living. Egg monsters from Mars." Yep, Jamie, what's your you got a favorite? Yeah, mine was always say cheese and die. 
And uh, I think it still is. But another one that I really love is uh, Curse of Camp Cold Lake. Oh, oh yeah. That's so really scary. Awesome, like right? that was always a kind of a scary one. What's that? Yeah, that one had a little more edge than most of yeah, them. Yeah. You know, the say cheese and die, there's definitely tongue in cheek. Camp you know, and you're goofy. Going, right. Okay. There's something funny, you know. There's fun, something funny about a family barbecuing, a family of skeletons barbecuing. <laughs> but um, yeah, the, the the curse of can't go late. Yeah, that's a that one's got a, that's got a real edge to it. Yeah, my favorite, without a doubt, is the haunted mask. I yep. remember so distinctly, and I know that one um, mm, kind love of love that one differs from from the horror land piece because it's more of focal one one thing you're focusing on really, but the complexity and detail of the mask is amazing. But uh, I remember so distinctly, we were not living in Ohio at the time. We were living just outside of Chicago. And my parents, well, were, we drove, so, you know, six, seven hour drive to Youngstown from Chicago. And we stopped at a Borders. And my parents were like, all right, guys, go, you and your sister, go grab a book, something to read on your way there. And I remember I re- read that eyes totally wide the entire drive. We got to my aunt's house. And we got in super late and uh, we went upstairs to go to bed and I finished the book and I got so scared. I threw up that night. <laughs> oh, my God. And uh, I remember my aunt was like, what the hell is going on? Are you sick? And I was like, no, I'm scared. And she was like, what do you mean? And I was like, this book, I just read this book. Uh, so that one, though, has always stuck with me so, so much. Uh, well, that's a first. I've heard a lot of stories. I haven't I haven't gotten I haven't heard the puke uh, variation yet. So that's a so uh, good. You, you, you put a you put a new spin on this thing. Yeah. And I'm I, that's a genuine I'm not making that up uh, story. So um, that's a very distinct one. And in fact, my aunt was here last night, the one whose house we were staying at. So she probably remembers that story, too. <laughs> but the uh, that 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 isolated image um, is something that I try to do often, you know, un, the, less is better, less is better on all and the, as much as you can stick the stuff right in the middle and make that, you know, the dominant thing in your face, you can't miss it. You can't miss it from across the room if it's on the shelf in the library. So there was a conscious effort to, to keep those, uh, use that formula as a, at, for impact. The uh, the logo, the header logo that yep. was across pretty much every book. Um, did you design that? I didn't. Oh, no, nope. okay. that was uh, they. I, I they were. I know that you know RL really wanted it to look like the you know those those old teaser movies that they used to show us in the movie theater. Mm-hmm. You know, trailers before movies, and you know there was a lot of sci-fi stuff. Uh, back when him and I were kids uh, in the movies. And um, I'm pretty sure they ended up with somebody doing a quick sketch, you know, at a table, you know, one of the art directors just doing something real quick. And they just went, yeah, that's it. And Mm, somebody just cleaned up the edges and it became, you know, it became the iconic, uh, you know, the iconic drippy, drippy font. Yeah, it really is iconic. I mean, so many of these images, like I don't even have to. No, I know. Like as soon as you said, you the, say the title, it's like you see it. Yeah, yeah. It's like a. Switch. Well, that's the that's the 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 part that to me is is so confounding, or I I don't know, I can't even think of the right word. So I've painted lots of book covers, 
And I've done, a you know, a hundred plus goosebumps, but I've done hundreds of other ones. So like I've done more stuff that isn't goosebumps and I can, you know, I can talk about them all day long and nobody remembers any of them. Sure. Now you guys were exposed to these things 30 years ago and you were, you were just, you know, you were 10 and you should have forgotten all about this. This should be this should be done. We should all be done with this. And then here we are. And like you say, I can just rattle off covers names. You can rattle off cover names. They're as vivid in my memory as they are in yours. And usually I'm the only one retaining those visual images because I made them. And sure. yeah, they're in the attic and nobody knows about them. But these are ones that come up all the time and uh, it's mind blowing. It's absolutely mind blowing. Yeah. I mean, I can promise, I can almost promise you like John and I wouldn't be sitting here today doing this podcast if it wasn't for the images that you created in the words that RL Stein wrote. Yeah, I agree with that. <clears throat> so again, then that's that, that, that falls into another category of stuff where a few things happened. So first the, the, the part that I really like is that, these books on some level really spurred on a, a whole generation of people's creative thinking. You know, there were people who wanted to draw and they, you know, they would copy the covers. And then there were people who wanted to write and they copied R.L. Stein's style. And then there were just people who looked at it and said, oh, this is just, a, we could be creative in a million different ways. And that somehow this stuff acted as some sort of creative fuel is by far the the biggest coolest byproduct. That uh, and again, who would I, I, I couldn't get my head wrapped around that? That again, that this these would have have that kind of impact, and it's it's awesome. It really is. It is awesome. Yeah. So the films. The Jack Black movies. You said so. You were at the premiere. You said one of the yeah. There was one, a, of, them, a, yeah. one of the smaller ones, but yeah, we definitely got to go to one. Awesome. And uh, um, did you like I, the movies? Uh, I was worried <laughs> when it, you know because uh, you know it, for years they talked about doing a Goosebumps movie, never got off the ground, and then here it is, all these years later, and it's like ah. Boy, I don't know. And then when they pick Jack Black to be R.L. Stein, you know, they're they're they are not similar in any way. And then I was like, oh, okay, here we go. Uh, you know, are they gonna are are they gonna try to make it funny? Are they? Gonna, you know, and I was just like, you know, my whole thing was, don't wreck it. Just don't mm-hmm. wreck it. I don't. You know, I'm, I I don't care how. Just, you know, let's not embarrass ourselves. Like, this was nice. You know, let's keep the memory good. And uh, when, you know, you finally got a chance to sit down and see it, I I loved it. You know, I was like, yeah, this is its own thing. They've got plenty, you know, this will appeal to the older fan, but you could come in and not know anything about Goosebumps and sit down and watch that movie and be entertained. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, I was, I, it, I was really happy that, you know, it was, it was, yeah, it was just fun. The whole thing was fun. Yeah. I was worried too, because there are so many different, to your point, standalone stories that are so prominent and that stand out in your mind so much. And I was like, how are they going to, 
how are they going to do this? Are they just going to focus on one storyline? Are they going to anthologize it? So I thought it was really creative how they found a way to incorporate multiple different um, characters and multiple different of the bad guys and have a ringleader involved. And yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah, that was and, a big and that was, to try to pull that off. I, I agree with you. That was the that was the spin. Again, I didn't know anything about it until I actually sat in the movie theater and watched it. And all the other attempts at making a Goosebumps movies in prior years was doing just that. They were picking a single story mm-hmm. and going, oh, it should be this one or it should be this one. And these guys, you know, took a step back and said, no, let's let's concoct something that incorporates everything. And again, then you can't go, oh, they didn't get that right because on page 24, this, you know, like you avoid all that nonsense because you're now creating – uh, you know, uh, a, a step back. Yeah. Yeah. So what are you, uh, what are you up to nowadays, man? What do you work on? Um, I got a couple of, I got a couple of sketches that I'm working on right now. And then uh, there's two, uh, one, uh, an album cover and a book cover that are, you know, in the works. Um, and also, uh, during the day, I'm also an art director at a small studio. So, oh, nice. uh, I do, uh, corporate stuff, uh, mm. animation, not Disney animation, but, uh, uh, I use a program called storyline and, uh, uh, yeah, so I got my hand, I mean, we work a lot still and there's still stuff coming out and, um, um, yeah, people, cool part now is that you guys are all grown up and you are writing your own books or you're in bands or you're, you're art directors or you work for ski companies and every email starts the same way. It says, Hey, when I was a kid, I was a big goosebumps fan Mm -hmm. and now I do and will you do some artwork for me? So I much appreciate that. uh, The, the young fans are now my new employers. Yeah. That's incredible. That's really cool, man. Well, thank you so much for the inspiration, man, and uh, just the imagery that's burned into our brains. All right, Tim, do you want to plug your stuff? Uh, where people can find you? Website? What's the best way? Yeah, to- yeah. Uh, uh, Tim Jacobus on Instagram. That's the best place because I, I when a uh, a new piece of artwork is finished, that's the first place it goes. When I'm going to be at a con, I always uh, get that that stuff up um in a timely fashion uh the other place is my website which is jacobus studios and at jacobus studios you can um you can get yourself goosebumps prints uh two sizes and uh ten dollars from every sale of every poster uh goes to uh supporting the local food bank Oh, so so cool. get yourself a Goosebumps poster and yeah, you, you're also helping do something good. Yeah, we're actually going to we'll do a giveaway to the oh, yeah. to the market here. We'll uh, we will most certainly oh. be buying one and, and raffle one off here to our listeners. So uh, great stuff. The site's awesome. You know, once we fell into the rabbit hole of uh, looking at your work and and getting the courage to reach out to you to see if you'd be interested in being on. Um we uh, spent some time. On oh, the site. I appreciate you reaching out. Yeah. yeah. Everything looks, looks so great. So Tim, thank you again, man. Uh, can't thank you enough for all of 
what you did for us as kids and for spending an hour with us tonight. This so was incredible, man. Yeah, this was fun. Thanks for having me. And, I, you know, again, I appreciate that you guys still remember this stuff fondly and that, you know, you're, 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 you're spreading this to your, your, the next generation of kids. That's way cool. And that, uh, yeah, uh, I appreciate you guys. Thanks, man. Have Thank a good you, one. man.